When your workplace is nearly a thousand years old, there's bound to be some interesting legends behind the job you do. One such legend tells us that should the ravens leave the Tower of London, it will crumble to dust and a great harm will befall our kingdom. In just a bit, Christopher Scaife tells us what it's like to be the Royal Ravenmaster at the Tower of London. There's a lot to see on any number of easy day trips from London as well. Many of our guests tend to think they have to do an organized trip from London, but no, you don't. Use the public transport. You can visit Stonehenge, the real Downton Abbey, and where the World War II codebreakers worked in secret at Bletchley Park. And were it not for them, it's estimated the war might have lasted for more than four years longer. Even if you only have a layover, we'll help you get into town from Heathrow or Gatwick. If you wanted to go to Buckingham Palace or Westminster, that's even closer. Get in and out of London and meet the Ravenmaster in the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. London tour guides recommend must-see day trips from their busy city. And we'll meet the yeoman warder who tends to the ravens at the Tower of London a job that's said to be indispensable for the safety of the kingdom. That's just ahead on today's Travel with Rick Steves. If you're planning a trip to Europe, you may have noticed that a lot of flights from the United States connect through London, through Heathrow Airport. And sometimes you're left with an awfully long layover. Instead of wasting hours hanging out at the airport, why not head into London for the day? We've invited London guides Stephen Beck and Deborah Hayburn to join us and share their tips about getting into the city to make a day of it, and then getting back to the airport in time for your flight. Stephen, Deborah, thanks for joining us here in our studio. Thank Pleasure. you. Pleasure. Welcome. So, is it realistic to have a long layover? Let's say you got an eight-hour layover in Heathrow. Deborah, is it realistic to actually check your bag and go into town? Yes, it is. It's very easy. It's 50 minutes on the tube, mm-hmm. the underground, right, to get into central London, and it's and you've got the the express the and train. the uh, Heathrow Express goes Which into goes Paddington. Straight to Paddington, and from there you've got the two and that's fifteen minutes around. every fifteen minutes. So four times an hour, and you're downtown in less than half an hour. Mm-hmm. And yes. and when yes. you can go into town, you can go mm-hmm. out back the same way, and it's oh, yeah, just absolutely. as reliable and mm-hmm. convenient. Yeah. Yes. So Stephen, uh, most people would go through Heathrow, but it's also conceivable you could land in Gatwick, London's second airport, and Gatwick has a good connection into London. A similar thing, the Gatwick Express, uh, and that heads into Victoria. In Mm -hmm. some ways, it depends where you want to be in London, Mm -hmm. but if you wanted to go to Buckingham Palace or Westminster, Mm -hmm. that's even closer. So um, it takes 30 minutes on the fast train, and Deborah and I, we were discussing about leaving luggage you know, and building some time for perhaps maybe a delay, but, you know, mm-hmm. an hour and a half, maybe a couple of hours if it's Gatwick. Mm-hmm. And so if you allow that on either side and you've got eight hours, yeah. you could have four mm-hmm. hours in London. Yeah. When, when you are going back to the airport, as an American especially, you should give yourself a little extra time. I, I know the from the airports in Europe, you have to go through extra security hoops to fly to the United States. Yes, Yes, you have to allow the time. Also, to get into, there's not only the Gatwick Express, but Southern Rail, mm-hmm. um, one of the other train companies, they run a service into Victoria, which is about every 30 minutes. It's a lot cheaper than the Gatwick Express and takes about the same time. Okay, so there are ways to get quickly and efficiently and economically yes. into London. A lot of people are stressed out by Heathrow because it has five terminals. I think generally when you go to and from the United States, you use Terminal 5. Is that right? That's Depending on the airline, British Airways. could be Terminal yes. Two, Terminal Five, or okay. could be Terminal Four. Okay, so I've been flying from Terminal Three with Virgin and Delta. 
Okay. If you're flying in and out of different terminals, how tough is it to connect the terminals? It's very easy. Follow the signs. It's really well signposted. What about the practicality of your bags? If you have a chance to check your bags through, that's the best thing. But if you're picking up your bag, is there a way to lock it up or do you check it onto the flight? You can't even check on that early to a flight out, I don't think. They have those baggage yes. storage uh, facilities. Deborah and I were, were, were thinking about this and talking about this at Heathrow, at St. Pancras, at Paddington. Um, okay. So if you I build would leave in your time, bag at the airport, don't take it into town. I would leave yes, it at the airport, yes, yes. yes. You can pre-book as well online. You can pre-book to leave your luggage, oh, you can. which should save time. Good tip. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Deborah Hayburn and Stephen Beck. We're talking about what to do with a long layover in London. Now, let's say you get in and out and you factor that time and you've got five Mm -hmm. or six hours in London. You could go into London. uh, One thing to remember is London is very congested, so it takes longer to get around in in conventional traffic, you know, Mm -hmm. with a taxi or a bus. But London is also a great walking city, so I would, you could consider going to one area and walking around. Deborah, if you had five or six hours, mm-hmm. you're a guide, mm-hmm. and you're going to show somebody around. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you cover? I mean, I know it's ridiculous to see okay. London in five hours, but you got five hours. Yes. You've never been to London. You may never be there again. What would you do? Well, it does make a difference whether somebody's been or not been, mm-hmm. uh, and also how tired they are. I think I would bear in mind as Let's well. Let's say they're tired and they've never yeah. been there before, okay. and they may never be there again. Mm. I think I would probably take get them to Victoria. Mm-hmm. And from Victoria, I would go uh, down to Westminster Abbey. But I think I'd probably go on a double-decker bus. Uh-huh. I probably wouldn't walk. I so probably you could wouldn't hop walk. on a double-decker bus? I would bus. probably do a double-decker bus. Not Ideal even... if you're tired. Yes, that's right. And, and they're, they're everywhere. There's yes, competing companies. You spend exactly. $30 and you sit on the top deck mm. if the weather's good and you sit yep. there and you hear the story and you look at everything. Yes, you exactly. Very yes. nice. You can even do just get an oyster at the airport and you can get an oyster card online before you travel as well if you know what your plans are. So an, an oyster card is a, is a pass for the subways. Uh, oyster so card is a pass for public transport. Right. So you could even just get an ordinary bus if you wanted to or get on one, on one of the hop-on, hop hop-off buses. I would say you're frantic to have a good time. You're overwhelmed. You're tired. Just hop on a double-deck bus, sit on the so, top yes. and relax. You're going to yeah, be exactly. stuck in traffic, but you're looking up at all these great sites. Exactly. And you got a guide. You're going to get exhausted if you go walking. Exhausted. Okay, Stephen, let's say we have a person with a little more energy and they do want to walk. You can start anywhere in town and you've got three or four hours to walk around. Where would you walk? Well, I would say, Deborah's talking about starting in Victoria. I think that's eminently sensible. You could mm-hmm. then get to Buckingham Palace quite easily, walk up to Buckingham Palace, mm-hmm. enjoy a look, look at Buckingham Palace. It depends. You might even be there for a guard change. You never know. It's mm-hmm. it's every day in summer, not every day in the, in the off-season. Mm-hmm. You could then walk through St. James's Park, a lovely park, to Westminster Abbey. And you could perhaps have a look around the church or head uh, past the cabinet war rooms to Whitehall, to Downing Street, to Trafalgar Square. All these famous yes. places, mm-hmm. and they're all, I can just, as you say that, mm-hmm. I, can, I can see each one from the last. It's a very reasonable walk. Mm-hmm. What do you see when you walk up Whitehall, Deborah, and then you land in Trafalgar Square? Talk us through that. Well, on the way up, uh, you'd see the Cenotaph, where the commemorations take place for the 
fallen in the First and Second World Wars so and memorials. all the wars. Memorials you've got memorials on the way. You've got government buildings. Uh, you've got uh, the Treasury Building. You've, of course, got Downing House, Downing Street. So we hear about numbered from Downing it. Street, your White House. Yes. Um, you can't go into the street anymore, but you can peek through the railings and see number 10, Downing Street, There's where the Prime a, Minister is. a commotion there by the gate. There Some, often is. Sometimes the press, always police, always yes. tourists oh, looking always for Always police and tourists, that's yeah. right, yes. A little bit further up, you've got the horse guards, and uh, if you're there at 11 o'clock, then they change the guards. And at the top of the street, you've got Trafalgar Square. And you've got Square. Trafalgar Square. And if you're there at lunchtime, St. Martin in the Fields, which is a beautiful church on the side of Trafalgar Square, they have free lunchtime concerts. Nearby are two free museums, Portrait Gallery and the National Gallery. Stephen, you could pop in. Oh, my goodness. Yes, absolutely. And if you're lucky, you can get maybe even a, a complimentary tour that they mm-hmm. offer a couple mm-hmm. times a day. Check online. But... I mean, the National Gallery is one of the great European galleries. You could say it's one of the top European painting collections, and it's free, and it's right there. Absolutely, from the the you got Leonardo da Vinci, you got yes. Raphael, you got yes. Rembrandt, yes, you got uh, Monet, you, the Impressionist. Yes, you've got really important examples from each of those artists at the National yes. Gallery. Stephen Beck and Deborah Haber are London-based tour guides, and they're helping us navigate the possibilities for seeing one or two of the sites of their city, besides the airport, the next time your flight plans include a long layover in London. And Deborah and Stephen, you do have the option of not going into London and doing some interesting sites near Heathrow. Stephen, what's near Heathrow? Well, 20 minutes away now, it depends. If you can pay for a cab, right. uh, Windsor is 15, 20 minutes away. There is a bus route. It's a little more complicated. No, don't, time is precious on this day, so hop so in let's, a cab. So let's do a cab. Pay the then. money. You've got a yep. travel partner. Share yep. it. In 20 minutes, you're at Windsor Palace. There you go. Deborah, what's yes. so big about Windsor yes. Palace? Oh, <laughs> Windsor Castle is absolutely... I mean, even if you don't have time to go in... Just to walk up to Windsor Castle and take a photo of it and then walk down to the river I love with that. Eton College on the other side. Eton College, Windsor Palace, and Windsor Castle. It's it. a palace, but it's like a, it's like a palace it's in a both. castle. It's a palace yeah. inside, yes, but it looks like a castle, doesn't it? A huge castle. And the town itself is a delight. Yes. You feel like you're in England. <laughs> it's amazing. You definitely are, And yes. you've got air, air, know, airplanes exactly. flying overhead because you're right by the airport. Yeah. Also, you got Kew Gardens nearby. Yes. Deborah, what would you find at Kew Gardens? At Kew Gardens, and this is good if you are on a time schedule, if mm-hmm. you do have enough money and you want to go in a taxi, go in a taxi. Don't bother to wait to leave your luggage because at Kew Gardens, if you enter by the Victoria Gate, they have luggage lockers for a pound ah. and they have large ones that will take a suitcase. So that's a subsidized way to safely lock up your bag because they don't want visitors to be running around the gardens with their bags. That's apparently. right, yes. Take advantage of that. Even a big mm. bag you can store. Even a big bag, a suitcase size locker they have. And inside they have this most beautiful Victorian 19th century from the 1800s glass greenhouse. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And they have staircases inside, wrought iron staircases inside, so you can get up on a level with the large palm trees. You've got water lilies that make you want to be a painter. Yes, you've got... You've got carnivorous plants that make you hungry. (laughs) The Venus flytraps. You've got this jungle under that... It it is a beautiful place. 19th century glass and steel greenhouse. So if you want to avoid the stress of the big city, you can just go to Kew Gardens... And you can even go into the big city and avoid stress. Just go into uh, Paddington 
And when you get to Paddington, you would need to ask, but you take the appropriate exit out. You come out right by the Grand Union Canal and the Paddington Basin. A few yards to your left, you're at what is known as Little Venice, and you can walk along the Regent's Canal. You can walk along there. You could take one of those canal boats and that will head out through Regent's Park, London Zoo to even Camden. And we were talking about Camden a little bit earlier. It's one of the great markets. So actually feasibly what Deborah's mentioning, you could really get into a part of London and get out quickly. And then it's time to get back. You retrace your steps. You get back to Heathrow Airport Mm -hmm. and you feel pretty smug, surrounded by a lot of people who have been sitting there for five hours. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been getting wisdom from our London guides, Deborah Hayburn and Stephen Beck, about making a layover in London a lifetime memory. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. So maybe you're planning to stay in London for a while and you'd like some tips on day-tripping out of town. Well, we'll explore that in just a bit. But first, the Raven Master from the Tower of London explains how he got one of the most unusual jobs in the United Kingdom and what it's like to live in the middle of all that British history while you're taking care of those lucky birds. That's next on Travel with Rick Steves. The Tower of London is arguably the most historic building in London. It's filled with imposing architecture, lots of armor, crown jewels, and a thousand years of stories and legends. To learn a bit about it, we're joined now on Travel with Rick Steves by one of the ceremonial guards who actually lives in the Tower of London. While they're often called the Beefeaters, Christopher Skype has a title of Yeoman Warder. That's the formal name. Christopher's special duty is taking care of the legendary ravens of the tower, and he's written a book called The Raven Master. That tells his story. Christopher, thanks for being with us. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You're the Raven Master. Most of us know about the Tower of London, but the ravens are kind of a a mystery. What's the big deal about the ravens at the Tower of London, and what does the Raven Master do? Uh, They're surrounded by myth and legend. One such legend tells us that should the ravens leave the Tower of London, it will crumble to dust and a great harm will befall our kingdom. So uh, we keep six there by royal decree. Hmm. And your job is to keep make sure they're, they're healthy and the, and the whole thing doesn't fall apart because for some reason the ravens are gone. Yep, I'm the raven master. As far as I'm aware, I'm the only official raven master in the world. <laughs> uh, my job is uh, welfare and uh, security of the ravens, keeping them there and making sure that they're all good and healthy. Okay, and I imagine you do other things. You're a yeoman warder. What is a yeoman warder? What's the general job description? I'm part of a team called the Body of Yeoman Warders. We're the oldest form body of men and women in the world, dating our history back to King Henry the Seventh. And so we're stationed at the Tower of London, and we're the guardians of the Tower of London, if you like. So we we are in charge of the security of the Tower of London, but we're also historical interpreters. So we tell the stories about uh, nearly a thousand years of history at the Tower. Because I I feel like you're invaded every day by thousands of tourists, and your job is to educate and entertain and keep order among those kind of masses. But do you actually have a, a serious function of, like, security for the Tower? Yeah, absolutely. We're all ex-military, so we take from the Army, RAF, Royal Marines and Navy. We have to have done a minimum of 22 years and be the rank of a warrant officer. Mm-hmm. So we, we are quite serious. Although we dress in your, our uniform, when you come to the Tower of London, you can see, we actually do have a security role. Of course, we keep the crown jewels and regalia at the Tower of London. Mm-hmm. So uh, we want to make sure that that stays there and is safe. 
A lot of people just call you beef eaters. Do you like that, or is, is it better to be more formal? Well, we're actually yeoman warders. Uh, that's our official title. But to beef eaters is a nickname or a slang term that was given to us many years ago. We don't really know where the term beef eater come from. Probably as guards to the royal families, at some stage or other we was paid in meat or beef. It was a rich commodity back then, mm. and people would say, look, those guards, they've got all the best cuts of meat, those greedy old beef eaters, and endearingly it stuck with us over the years. Whoa. But it could there are many different reasons for it. I like that reason. As a tour guide, we get to choose our favorite reasons sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. I've been going to the Tower of London all my life, and it's just it's a place that just... It's just got so much history. It's amazing. You know, it goes back to the Norman Conquest, doesn't it? Tell us the roots of the Tower of London and and what it means to the English people. Well, the Tower of London is a concentric series of 20 towers. And, of course, the main tower in the middle, the, the White Tower, was built on the orders of William the Conqueror. And building work started around about 1078 after he invaded England. And he built it to overawe and impress the citizens of London. And of course, when you see it to this day, nearly a thousand years later, that's exactly what it still does to this day. I kind of like to look at it as the beating heart of Britain, where all the the history uh, has gone all around the world from this particular building. And it's a magnificent place. It's had many functions, right? It's been a royal residence and a prison and an execution site. Yeah, it's had many roles over the years. It's been a royal menagerie for 650 years. We had lions and tigers and all exotic animals. It was a public records office. It was a a royal armory where we had arms and armour that was made and stored. Uh, But it's probably best known as one of the most infamous prison complexes in the world. There's an old saying, isn't there? Keep your friends close, but keep your enemies even closer. And of course, the tower's actually originally designed to be a fortress and a palace. And so it was good to be able to keep people that knew you near to you. And so it became a prison. And there were certain people over time who you didn't, you couldn't murder, but you could just kind of lock up. And it seems like when they built those towers and those ramparts, they just conveniently had all these little rooms where you could just lock somebody away and throw away the key and they're out of your, politically, they're out of your troubles. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had two types of prisoner at the Tower of London. We had open and closed prisons. So an open prison would be a high-ranking dignitary that was uh, paid, actually, for the privilege of, of being kept at the Tower of London. And it was the job of the Yeoman Warder and the guards at the time to look after that said prisoner. And then we had the other side where we had the closed prisoner. And so for political or religious reasons, they would be locked away in a very small cell somewhere in the confines of the Tower of London and treated really badly. So we had two different distinct types of prisoner at the Tower of London. Of course, it was never designed to be a prison. And of course, people did escape over the years. Hmm. And that gives you all sorts of fascinating stories to tell on on the tours you give when the tours come to the Tower of London. Our guest on Travel with Rick Steves is Christopher Scaife. He serves as a yeoman warder or a beef eater at the historic Tower of London. Christopher writes about his duties caring for Britain's most famous birds in his book, The Raven Master, My Life with the Ravens at the Tower of London. You can read more about Christopher's work on Facebook or Twitter. He's at Ravenmaster1. So, Christopher, when we think of the Tower of London, we often think of bloody history. It's just like Hollywood gore. I know you have to ramp that up a little bit to be entertaining when you when you take your guests around the Tower, but what is the story about the, the bloody history of the Tower of London? Yes, of course. The Tower of London is associated with imprisonment, torture and execution. 
And these stories that have come about over the years probably stem from sometime around the Victorian period, where yeoman warders, who were ex-military men at the time, taken on by the Duke of Wellington, had to supplement their pension. And so they would bring visitors into the Tower of London in greater numbers, and they would tell the distinct stories about those who were imprisoned there. Of course, many of the stories are actually true. It's just that the Yeoman Water tour, the famous tour that you go on, we do have an, an ability to enhance it slightly. Political license, I think it's called. Well, you make that pretty clear Poetical in, in your book. I reading say. through your book, The Raven Master, you say, you know, if, if you want history, read a history book. If you want storytelling, take our tour. It's a big part of going to London is going to the Tower of London. And, uh, you know, there's the Jack the Ripper night walk and there's all sorts of dungeon museums in London and so on. And when you go to the Tower of London, I, I think we get a, a romanticized look at maybe romanticized is not quite the right word. But in your book, in The Raven Master, you made it clear it's not as bloody as the Hollywood coverage. You said for 900 years, there were about 8,000 prisoners, 120 were executed, and only six were executed inside the gates. And you said, furthermore, torture was quite rare. Yeah, absolutely. I think officially sanctioned by the king or queen at the time, only 78 people were officially sanctioned to be tortured at the Tower of London. I'm sure that there were more over the years, but officially only 78. So really and truly, the Tower of London doesn't have that greater outlook of people who were tortured at the Tower of London. It's been synonymous with the stories that have been told over the years. And I think Americans need to remember that in our society, the ultimate penalty is capital punishment. You are killed in the most humane way they can figure out. But in the old days, there were punishments worse than death. You could be killed slowly, you could be killed quickly, you could be tortured first and then killed, and then you could be tortured first and killed slowly, and then the remains of your body could be humiliated, all according to how bad your crime was. Absolutely. Uh, The quickest way... And the best way, really, to be executed that period of time was by the block and axe. It was deemed to be very quick. But, of course, we had people that were hung, drawn and quartered, burnt at the stake, parts of their body parts dismembered. So there was all sorts of different ways to actually kill someone, if you like. Mm -hmm. But at the Tower, torture was only ever really used to extract information rather than cause them pain. Mm. Although I think the two actually go together. (laughs) I think so, too. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Christopher Scaife, and he writes The Raven Master, My Life with the Ravens at the Tower of London. And Christopher, in his uh, function as yeoman warder, or commonly called the beef eater, he's one of a team of guards, and you give tours. And, you know, it's expensive to go to the Tower of London. I think a typical tourist pays about $40, the equivalent in British pounds, to go to the Tower of London. You're right there. You see the, the brawl every day as thousands of people crowd to get in and frustrations, and also you see the people who really know how to do it well. What tricks would you give visitors to visit the Tower of London? Because it's, it's one of the must-see sites in London, I've got to say. How do you avoid the crowds? How do you get a good price on the ticket? And, and what should your priorities be once you're there? Yeah, it is fairly expensive to come and see the Tower. But the wonderful thing about the Tower of London is the fact that you can purchase your ticket online. There are plenty of discounts to get tickets online, so pre-book beforehand. To beat the queues, come early or late on in the afternoon. Obviously, the summer months are quite busy at the Tower of London. So that's, uh, you know, if you're going to come during the summer months, then be prepared to queue for a little while to go and see the Crown Jewels. But I would say book online, book your tickets online, and uh, come early in the morning and and get to the Tower as soon as you can. Make your way straight to the Crown Jewels, go and Mm -hmm. see them first, and then enjoy the rest of your day. You can actually go to the Tower of London and spend all day long there finding about our fascinating stories. 
Oh, you really can. And people don't realize it's a collection of museums. And I, I think that tip to go to the jewels first is really important because you have the yeoman warders, um, you and your partners, that are dressed in all of your regalia and you're meeting people just inside the gate. And every half hour or so, there's a tour going. And that's worth, I mean, if you're wondering $40, well, your tour alone is, is worth half of that. It's just so entertaining and fun. You've got an amazing collection of um, armor and, and armory and so on, like the best I've seen in Britain. You've got some of the best Norman architecture in England. Remember, Romanesque is called Norman. It's the architecture before Gothic. And the Norman Chapel there is one of the most exquisite examples of Norman architecture you can find in Britain. And you've got the crown jewels. And what you want to do is make a beeline for the crown jewels. And then, in my experience, uh, Christopher, you've got the moving sidewalk for a close-up look as you go right by all the crown jewels. But then you can circle back and stand above and not be rushed. And, you know, the people on the moving sidewalk get the close-up look. But you can actually hang out with one of the guards and, and talk about the jewels and look at them at your leisure after you do the sliding sidewalk. Is that still true? Yep, absolutely it is. And if you come quite early in the morning, you can go around a couple of times around there to see it. There's obviously people that are working inside the jewel house who are either subject matter experts inside there, so you can speak to them and find out about all the crown jewels and royal regalia. They are displayed absolutely magnificently. They're a must-see. Even if you have to queue during the summer months to go in, just spend a little bit of time in that queue Get in there and see the crown jewels. Do not leave the Tower of London without seeing them. So I would say the three things you got to do. you got to take the Yeoman Warders tour. you got to hang out with you for, how long is the tour, like 45 minutes or something? Yes, it's about 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Again, that's a must-do. Do that. You don't need to do that first, though. I think you can go to the crown jewels first before the long crowds hit. It's like a Disney thing. You know, there's a line outside, but then you get inside and there's still a long line. So there's a lot of people crowding in to see the jewels. So go there first, take the Yeoman Warders tour, and then in the big white tower is the armory, and um, it's just a first-class museum about medieval warfare and so on. What is your tip for enjoying that to the most? It actually takes quite a long time to go round the White Tower, so leave yourself plenty of time to see the mm -hmm. Tower of London. Normally, the average amount of time that you need there, a minimum amount of time, is about three hours, so just bear that in mind. And, of course, on busy days, it can be a little bit more than that. But to go and see the White Tower, it's absolutely chocked with arms and armour. There's the line of kings there. There's King Henry VIII's armour. On the top floor, there's a, a block and axe that was the last block actually used, so it's got loads of stuff to actually go and see. But go in there. There's staff around there. Ask them questions about the history. There's also an audio guide in many different languages you can get, which mm -hmm. gives a really good illustration as you're walking around the tower of what you can actually see and the stories behind the actual artifacts. And do remember, there are so many dimensions to the Tower of London. It's not like going to a single one-hit site. It's a complex of sites, and uh, there's uh, places to eat there, and there's activities in the courtyard where, especially if you have kids, they get to see reenactments and so on from the Middle Ages. It's just a really nicely presented bit of British culture. You know, as a tourist, you go to the Tower of London and it's just, you know, you open in the morning and then everybody crushes in there and it's just a historical um, theme park and it's just a lot of fun. And then at the end of the day, you lock it up and, what, 120 people actually call the tower home. Uh, you've got a church service there. You've got your family there. What's it like? You have a, a wife and a child that lives in the tower with you? Yeah, of course. We have our own doctor on site, our own chaplain. Uh, there's the Yeoman Warders and their families that live and work inside the walls of the Tower of London. And, of course, when the public leave in the evening time, the tower then becomes ours. And, and our small children, if we have any small children, 
which we do, you know, the tower becomes their playground and you see them running around and playing on their scooters and on their bikes and it's just a wonderful atmosphere. We have a great community there. We even have our own pub on site, which is very exclusive. You can only get an invite if you actually know a yeoman warder, but it has loads and loads of memorabilia in there. Whoa, that is cool. I'm going to put that on my list. I want to go to the pub after hours in the Tower of London. You're officially invited. One thing we can do where you can feel kind of special is go to the changing of, what is it called, the changing of the keys? The ceremony of the keys. Yeah. Tell us about that. The ceremony of the keys is a tradition that's been going on for century upon century. And actually what it is, it's the closing down of the Tower of London each night. And it takes place at 10 p.m., and it's it's a system where the soldiers come out, they guard the chief young warder as he goes around the tower, closing all the gates. And many, many years ago, we would be ushering lots of people that had no reason to be in the tower outside of the town, just pushing them all out. And so that he's afforded with a, a guard to help him close the gate. And at 10pm, the Tower of London clock chimes, the chief young warder stands still, he raises his Tudor bonnet and says, God preserve Queen Elizabeth. Everybody answers, Amen. And so it's really our way of of saying goodnight to the world. We lock ourselves in. And from my experience, it's pretty straightforward for a tourist to go online and make a reservation and actually be there for that ceremony. Yes, of course. You can go online. You can go onto the Historic Royal Palace's website, book online. If you're planning your journey here, plan in advance because there is a waiting list to go on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So do plan in advance. But it is free of charge. You do not have to pay for the fun of coming to watch the ceremony of the keys. Ah, that's a magic experience if you have the opportunity. We've been talking with Christopher Scaife. His book is The Raven Master. And Christopher, if we could just wrap up our conversation, it's been so nice talking with you. As tourists, we go to the Tower of London to see all the, you know, this kind of marquee history and, and so on. What does the Tower of London mean to a British person? Where is it in their view? It's just a piece of our history that uh, we, we love and share. The actual tower itself is controlled and run by a charitable organisation called Historic War Palaces, and they do a fantastic job. So every bit of money that uh, is gained from people coming into the Tower of London goes back into recreating the history and the stories behind the tower and other palaces as well. So uh, you're actually helping to preserve the, uh, the fascinating fortress that we actually have when you come and visit the Tower of London. That's an important part of the the fabric of British history. And uh, to miss it when you're in London would really be a shame. Christopher Scaife, thanks for writing your book and thanks for sharing uh, an insider's look at the Tower of London. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Since the time we recorded our interview with Christopher, two of the ravens he watches over at the Tower have died or gone missing, though he still does have the requisite six ravens. However, at the nightly changing of the keys ceremony, they now say, God preserve King Charles. Write us a haiku poem about your travels at ricksteves.com slash radio. The most evocative ones may get read on the air one day. Here are a few European summer travel memories from our listeners. Oliver Hay in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, remembers the time he took in the sights in Siena, Italy. Stracciatella drips, white on burnt Siena bricks, in the compo heat. Jay Mayhew in Franklinville, New Jersey, wrote this after a tour of Greece. The shimmering sea, the clamoring of Athens. We are delighted. Regina Ann Cooper in Heartland, Vermont, cools us down with this poem while anticipating her next trip. Iceland beckons us. Endless days, 
Aurora nights, glaciers await tender feet. And Sally Slaughterback in Lavelle, Pennsylvania, paints us a classic scene from Paris. Luxembourg Garden, red sails on fountain sea. Come, ride ponies with me. Hello, I'm Joanna Lumley. I'm from London, and it's absolutely fabulous to be here traveling with Rick Steves. I'd love to boast to my friends that I spoke to Rick. We're all sitting with bibs around our necks and our eyes glittering. <laughs> and I'm from Patsy. I think, uh, Rick, you're fantastic. Cheers, sweeties. <laughs> I like London. Have you heard the saying that if you're tired of London, well, you're tired of life? Well, London, like any big city, can really wear you out. That's true. And that's why we've recruited some British tour guides, Liz Boardman and Jeannie Carmichael, to recommend a few spirit-lifting adventures we can enjoy on an easy day trip from London. They join us now with ideas for memorable and entertaining excursions we can add onto our next London itinerary. Jeannie and Liz, thanks for being here. Pleasure. Pleasure. Nice to see you. So when you go to London, of course, there's some obvious things you'll want to see, Oxford, Cambridge, Bath, and so on. But there are some side trips that people might not think about that we want to be sure they know about. Jeannie, what's an, what's an example of a great side trip that you'd want people to, to be sure to consider when they're in London? One of my favorites is Hampton Court Palace. Hampton Court Palace, why? Because it's Henry VIII's chief palace. It's a magnificent Tudor building, mm-hmm. 1,200 rooms in it. 60 acres of gorgeous gardens, the Mm. world's oldest maze, art, tapestries, costumed docents. Costumed docents? Indeed, yes. Now you say that like it's just, it comes with the palace. It's such a beautiful (laughs) thing. Liz, in England, it seems everywhere you go, you've got costumed docents. I think we all like to dress up, basically. It's It's a wonderful experience, and I think many of our attractions are really aimed for education purposes. And what better way to have education than to enjoy it? And it's not unusual to have a, a, a great historic palace, a very highbrow place that has a little dress-up room next to the entry where the kids can put on costume uh, gowns and, and coats. It's not just the kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the kids. So we're talking Hampton Court Palace, 1,200 rooms, Henry VIII's fabulous home, lots of tapestries, uh, a maze outside in the garden, costume docents. How do you get there? You just go to Waterloo Station. There are two trains an hour. Mm-hmm. And you don't even need to buy a special train ticket. You can get there on the London Oyster card. Just the London tube get. ticket? Absolutely. It gets out there two mm-hmm. times an hour, 45 minutes, and you got your Hampton Court experience. What's another place? Liz, what, what would you propose people consider? I always think Stonehenge and Salisbury. So you can get the train from London straight to Salisbury. And from Salisbury, there is a regular bus service on a double-decker bus that will take you for about a 30-minute drive to Stonehenge. Now, if I was a typical tourist looking at the map, I'd think, I'm using the train. The train only goes to the city, and Stonehenge is out in the middle of the country. It's going to be difficult. But no, you come into Salisbury, and half of the tourists on that train are not going to Salisbury. They're going to Stonehenge. They're going to Stonehenge. And there's a double-decker bus waiting, probably coordinated with the arrival of the train. In an ideal world. And you're, and you're on your way. <laughs> That's exactly it. We try and make it as easy as we possibly can. I think there's, there's often a, a thought many of our guests tend to think they have to do an organized, an organized trip from London. But no, you don't. Use right. the public transport. You could spend a lot of extra money taking that organized tour or you could save a lot of money and have a lot of more freedom if you take the, the train and then the bus connection. That's exactly it, Rick. I think it's more for the freedom because you never know how long you want to be there. Exactly. 
if anyone has been to Stonehenge before, it's a different experience after about four years ago when we had a new visitor centre created, fantastic exhibition room. They've remade um, or what, what they think was the way that the people lived, even how they think they moved some of those gigantic stones mm. across the plain itself. So yeah. there's more than just I, I the stones. I loved it. We went there with our TV crew just a couple of years ago, and uh, it was all different from my experience. I've been mm. going there for so many times. And you got, after the exhibition center, you get on a shuttle bus, and it takes you right to the stone circle. Right to the stones, and you can spend as long as there as you like. And the beauty of going in and out of Salisbury as well, you can stop in Salisbury. There's a beautiful cathedral there. There's the Magna Carta you One can see. One of the Magna Cartas is in Salisbury. Exactly that, and it's free to go and see. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Jeannie Carmichael and Liz Boardman about side trips from London. What's another side trip you would consider, Jeannie? Oh, one of my favourites is Bletchley Park. Um, Maybe, have you seen that wonderful film with Benedict Cumberbatch all about uh, Bletchley Park, the Code Breakers? Oh, the Enigma Code. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Top secret establishment. And that's open to the public. It's open to the public now. Bletchley Park. B-L-E-T-C-H-L-E-Y Park. So mm-hmm. this is great for World War II fans. Absolutely. And and what exactly do you experience there? What, is it a museum or a palace or, or what? Well, it's the whole site. It's the original site preserved. And you get guided tours there. They take you from hut to hut and they explain to you exactly how the code breakers worked. So this really is a World War II um, secret mission kind Absolutely. of uh, site. And were it not for them, it's estimated the war might have lasted for more than four years longer. Well, that's so this to is to vastly Park important. Right yes. How do you get to Bletchley Park? You jump on a train from King's Cross, and in forty minutes, there you are. And Sounds Bletchley like that's Park the. We can just put you outside <laughs> the station. Just jump on the train, and in forty minutes, you're there. there. You are. We should mention that London, if you are considering day tripping, London is a massive city from a square miles point of view, and it's ringed with train stations. How many train stations do we have in London? Oh gosh. Um, there's, a, there's a handful of them. Oh, but they're at, at least, well, there's about eight major ones eight, and then eight. smaller suburban ones. So then you'll go to that by the by the tube and then you'll catch the train from there. Absolutely. And things are so coordinated because mm-hmm. the British people can live life just fine without mm-hmm. a car. Um, Liz, what's another day trip from London? I really enjoy Highclere Castle. Now, again, it's a short train journey from London to Newbury area. Highclere. Now, we know this because of Downton Abbey. Yes, yes, if we have any Downton fans. Oh, I am. And how accessible is the actual abbey we all know and love? Well, it's actually more of a stately home. Mm -hmm. And in case anyone was under the impression it was a a church type of uh, building, Mm -hmm. it's obviously a stately home. Um, The only thing I would really recommend is do check for tickets in advance. It's very popular, very popular to go, but accessible. So you should book tickets in advance. Yes, to I, actually... I said to the Abbey. To, the, Abbey. to the entrance. It's the castle. It's Highclere Castle, yeah. yes. And, and it's uh, a beautiful stately home, originally home of Lord Carnarvon. And Lord Carnarvon we tend to associate with the discovery of Tutankhamun. That's right. So is there actually an Egyptian collection? There, there? is an Egyptian exhibition there so as got, well. You've got the... Not the King Tut exhibit, but a related exhibit about you do. the Egyptians' artifacts. And then, you know, we, we, we're all fascinated by Downton Abbey. Yeah. Are there actually artifacts there about Downton Abbey, or is there some sort of a tip of the hat to the actual uh, series? Oh, no, they have incorporated the fact of Downton Abbey. And to be quite honest, when you do visit, it's like walking on the film set. But, of course, really what happened was the actors and actresses just had to move into Highclere Castle. They hardly had to change anything for them. But, again, a big exhibition with reference to Downton Abbey as well. And how do we get to Highclere Castle from London? Highclere Castle would be a 
train and genie. I'm looking. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a short train ride, and then you it's there's a taxi. Forty minutes from London, by the way. <laughs> and then you take a taxi then you from take the a nearest. Taxi. So you just take the you take your any sort of you can Google that or whatever. Oh, yeah. But you're within an hour from this sure. from London, and you're on your way. British tour guides Liz Boardman and Jeannie Carmichael are helping us get out of town to explore a few of the many interesting day excursions or side trips we can enjoy within easy reach of London. Let's do another one. This is fun. I'm learning a lot. Uh, Jeannie, Jeannie, what's another? uh, Oh, another one I really love is Eltham Palace, which is just on the edge of London. Again, Mm -hmm. that's maybe 20 minutes on the train. And that was a 15th century castle, Mm -hmm. a palace. 15th century, yeah, so that absolutely. was 600 years ago. This yeah. is Eltham Palace, E-L-T-H-A-M. Yeah. And what's so worthwhile about it? Well, that? what's wonderful about it is that in the 1930s, there was a very wealthy couple, the Courtaulds. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a great art collection Because we think the Courtauld Gallery in, in London, Precisely same family. Precisely the same family. Mm-hmm. They decided they would like to build a 1930s house adjoining the ancient palace. So you got a 600-year-old palace and, and, what, and an Art Deco mansion next Art to it. Art Deco mansion. It's stunning. That uh, sounds quite unique, actually. Beautiful. It is. I, I've never seen anything like it anywhere else. And how open is it to the public? Is it a private home that lets you see a couple of rooms, or is it just wide no, open No, you tourists? can see no. the whole thing. It's and, and what really is it? Is it, is it more medieval palace or more Art Deco mansion? Well, what's left of the medieval palace is a great hall, one great big hall, yeah. but it's stunning. It has a roof very similar to Hampton Court and mm-hmm. Westminster Hall in the Houses of Parliament, you know, the fabulous hammer-beam roof. You could spend a week in London and every oh, day easily. dedicate to a side trip. And no, you could that... spend a month. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, have bet a, I would bet a place like Eltham Palace has a lovely garden. Oh, it's stunning. Oh, yeah. it's absolutely beautiful because the Courtaulds were passionate gardeners as well, you see. And again, we have the docents to show you around. It's like stepping back in time. I love the way the elegant docents... Are they volunteers or do they get paid? For no, this? they get paid. They get paid. I've got some sense that there's volunteer docents in some places, but whatever the case is, they feel yes. like volunteers because they love what they Indeed. do. Mm-hmm. And they and you can ask them questions. Mm-hmm. And the smart tourist, you know, they take full advantage of those docents because they're there to give meaning to your visit. Let's go to another side trip. Okay, we just did Eltham Palace. Um, Liz, what, what's one that you would enjoy doing? Um, I think this is for adults and children. We're talking Harry Potter. Harry Potter and the Warner Brothers Studios, which is just outside London, are hmm. really popular. Now, I say for the children as well, but again, this is the adults that get the big kick out of Harry Potter. So what's the Tell me, take me there. I have not been to the Warner uh, Brothers Studios. It's the Warner Brothers London. Studios, just outside. This is where you can actually see some of the sets that were created for the magnificent films. You hmm. can get involved with the special effects as well. You can fly on the broomsticks. You can go and you can purchase the wands. You too can make the spells like Harry Potter. Well, so anybody who's interested in Harry Potter would find this to be Oh, fun. this this is a must, an yeah, absolute Outside must. of London, but accessible by train, I suppose. It's outside London, and uh, again, as you said, you can get there by train, and just like we've said with the other attractions as well, there are buses coordinated to arrive and ferry you out to the Warner Brothers Studios. And in this case, do you need reservations in advance? Again, I would. It's very popular, very popular. You know, so if I it's would possible book. to make a reservation in advance, especially because you're going out of London on a train... Mm. You don't want to underestimate. You, you could hit on a holiday or you could be there when there's everybody is there. You'll want to have a reservation in advance if it's possible. If it's possible. And with the Warner Brothers Studios, you actually have a timed entrance okay. as well. So there's always, keep that in mind. So always go online and find out if these sites allow online booking. And if they do, why not? Definitely. 
This is Travel with Rick Steves. We are celebrating day trips from London with Jeannie Carmichael and Liz Boardman. And uh, Jeannie and Liz, let's do a few more side trips. You know, one thing that's very close to London for me, because every time I land in Heathrow, it seems like I'm right there, is Windsor. Talk about Windsor for a minute, Jeannie. Oh, well, Windsor is just superb. I mean, it's it's Her Majesty's favourite home. And when you see it, you won't be surprised why. So there's Windsor Palace. Windsor Castle, yes. Windsor Palace. And, and that is really one of the one of the great royal palaces yes. and castles to see. Uh, but the, there's even more than that in the town of Windsor. I just find it just a charming place to even get a, a small hotel or a B&B. Oh, yes. Well, just outside the castle, there's Windsor Great Park, mm-hmm. which is thousands of acres of beautiful parkland with hundreds-year-old trees, and you can do walking trails through the park. And Liz, don't we have the famous Eton College there? We do. Actually, from uh, the town of Windsor, you're looking down on Eton College itself, beautiful, iconic building uh-huh. itself. The whole town, it has a, a real quaint Englishness about it. And you can get there in, in, in half an hour or so from half downtown hour, London. Exactly. And uh, you're in a different world. It feels very much a different world. As you said, you just catch a train from Waterloo, and within half an hour, you're in this quintessential English town. I love that. Now, if you've got kids, nearby is Legoland. Yes. And uh, if your kids are Legomaniacs, are, are kids still Legomaniacs? Is that, uh, my I kids believe are Legomaniacs. So. <laughs> you know, Denmark is the original Legoland, but there's an amazing Legoland right by Heathrow Airport near it Windsor. Is. It actually warrants a day visit itself. And again, if you have children, it's a wonderful experience for children. Not only are they recreating many iconic places within the UK in Lego, but there's also theme rides as well. There's boat rides. There's, uh, there's all sorts. You know, the English know how to have a, have a good time <laughs> going to the amusement park. And it, it happens rain or shine. Now, Liz, um, you're from Bath, and, and I've never been beyond Bath to a town called Bristol right. because I love Bath so much. But Bristol is, a, a lot of people are saying Bristol is worth a look. Rick, I, I think it is. This is why, um, you know, most people would leave London. They would pick the train up at Paddington. An hour and a half later, you're in Bath. And that's uh-huh. where the majority of people will descend. Just go that 15 minutes further and uh-huh. you're in Bristol. Bristol itself, it's, uh, it's a, a city with many, many historical facts with it. Unfortunately, it was devastated during the Second World War. So a lot of Bristol is now new build, but we still have some of the original buildings. Hmm. Bristol has connections with the slave industry. It was part of the slave triangle. Mm-hmm. And again, within Bristol itself, we have big connections with a gentleman called Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Now, he was one of our fantastic Victorian engineers and designers, and he actually designed the SS Great Britain. And the SS Great Britain was the first iron uh, steamship to cross the Atlantic. This is going back to 1845. So this was before, in in our grade school education, we always learn about the uh, ironclad uh, warships of the Civil War. Right. This is even before that. This is even before that. It took 14 days to cross the Atlantic. An iron ship with a propeller in 1840? 1845. That's great. And it took about 190 passengers across across the Atlantic. And uh, itself, it's now, it's come back to Bristol. It's in a fantastic uh, display. They've actually got it down by the harbour side. You can go over the SS Great Britain, see what the conditions were like for the passengers. I would imagine very different than any cruises that we can offer in today's uh, ships themselves. But the history involved with the SS Great Britain, now unfortunately she was uh, put 
to scuttle outside the Falklands, but she was brought back to Bristol back in 1970. Okay. And they spent many years recreating, bringing her back to her former glory. So we know and love Bath, but it's a resort town, a little spa town, Mm. and it's nice, it's elegant. uh, But if you go just beyond, you get a no-nonsense industrial port town, Bristol with some serious history and some serious maritime history. Definitely. And Jeannie, I think when we're thinking about side trips from London, we can remember there's a place that's nicknamed London by the Sea. Absolutely. You just jump on a train at Victoria Station. There's one every 15 minutes, and in an hour, you're in Brighton. And Brighton is the most brilliant place to visit because Brighton is a city of, shall I say, mildly eccentric. (laughs) You know, that's a very good thing to say, mildly and less mildly eccentric uh, pleasure activists. Absolutely. uh, There are more vegetarian restaurants there than any other city in Britain. It's got a thriving gay scene. Very thriving gay scene there. Um, When we had a census a few years ago, a significant percentage of uh, Brighton inhabitants put down their religion as Jedi Knight. And you've got an eccentric royal who built a palace down there, the Brighton Pavilion. Absolutely, yes. And this is one of the most exotic buildings, I think arguably the most exotic building in Britain. Talk about the Brighton Pavilion. Well, it has been said that it looks as if the Taj Mahal had given birth to a pup. That's what it looks like. Absolutely. It is our version of the Taj Mahal. It was built by the Prince Regent, who was the son of George III, if you remember him, he was the king who went mad and caused us a few colonial problems. That's but, you know, right. we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his son wasted his money on building this fabulous extravaganza, which is an Indian palace on the outside and inside. It's an exquisite Chinese palace. Oh, it's well worth touring. Oh, yes. And uh, speaking of uh, Indian, you know, when you go to London these days, it's just a microcosm of England's, uh, f- the Commonwealth, of England's sure. former empire. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't have enough money to own their own palace. But they have the money for a train ticket, and they want a little time on the sunshine on the beach. They'll go straight south as far as the train can go. That's Brighton. And you go to the beach, and it's just an ethnic festival of different families from all over the former Commonwealth. Immigrants, first-generation immigrants that are down on Brighton's beach having a great time. Indeed. And if you like antiquing, you've died and gone to heaven. Because Brighton. Brighton has tiny little streets, which are called the lanes. It used to be a fishing village, you see, right. and it grew from that. The most beautiful jewellery shops there. Oh, my Lord. This has been so much fun. Jeannie Carmichael, Liz Boardman, you've opened my horizons. I can go back to London for the rest of my life and see the British Museum and, uh, you know, the National Gallery and uh, hike up and down Whitehall, and I love that. But to get on a train and go 40 minutes, two trains an hour, you've got a whole world of wonderful side trips. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton, Kaz Hall, and Donna Bardsley. Our website is managed by Andrew Wakeling. Affiliate relations are by Sheila Gerzoff. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Thanks to the BBC in London for their help this week. Find out more about our guests at ricksteves.com radio. And we'll see you next week for more Travel with Rick Steves. With the Rick Steves Guidebook to England, Scotland, Ireland, or any place in Europe, I'll be right there with you as you put together the trip of a lifetime. They're each lovingly updated and carefully designed so you can travel smartly. Pick up the latest edition at your favorite bookseller or at ricksteves.com.
and make those travel dreams come true.